0: Today we have Josh and Mundi, a content creator on TikTok and Instagram, who teaches his followers that they can build wealth and how to actually master their personal finances. Welcome to the show, Josh. I
1: appreciate it. Thank you for having me on.
0: Of course. And we just want to go straight into it. We want to figure out where all of this first began. So let's take it back to the beginning. When you were in high school and college, when were you first introduced to the concept of truly building wealth? And knowing that personal finance is actually super important.
1: I think uh, early on, you know, I grew up in a pretty middle-class Indian family and um, money was always like a topic that we would talk about pretty, uh, at least my parents would talk about it openly, but um, I felt like I, on my own personal life in the future, I wanted a little more, you know, my parents were immigrants, they grew up saving their money and and kind of taking that route, but I want to learn how to invest my money where I could actually save and not only save it but grow it as well, and actually have you know actually have like generational wealth where I can actually enjoy it in the future. So, you know, early on it just sparked my interest, right? I started <clears throat> looking at uh, you know stock market TV channels and uh, CNBC and whatnot, and it just kind of sparked my interest learning about the stock market. Then I started hearing about real estate and hearing about grownups talking about real estate. So it all kind of just started slowly sparking my interest. And the more I got into it, I started reading more books, uh, the better, you know, the better my, mon- my knowledge got and the more interest I got into it.
2: So when you were in high school and college, did you have any like mindset of wanting to get the standard nine to five job? Or did you have like that kind of thing where, you know, you really want to get out of the rat race or when did that pique your interest?
1: Well, in high school, I never thought about it whatsoever. I mean, I worked part-time jobs on the weekends and whatnot. Um, And, you know, for me, it was like my parents told me to start working. I started working in like grade nine, grade nine summer. And, you know, I kind of just said, okay, I guess this is what most people do. You know, you work a job and, you know, this is how you make a living. But I slowly started to hate it. I hated it because I, I was working in warehouses, you know, the environment is hot you're all sweaty you know you're picking up boxes and it, i just realized at an early age like this is something that i i just don't want to do for the rest of my life but i was i was pretty patient with it right i mean i still till this day now i work a nine to five um i enjoy my nine to five but i know that there's an end goal as well on top of my job right and that's kind of what i'm working towards now
0: It's really great to hear because while you do have your nine to five job, you're also putting into perspective that, you know, that you want to achieve financial freedom. And by doing that, you got to make your money work for you do all these other investments. And you've clearly done that because you talked about on your YouTube page that you got to a hundred K net worth at just age 23. So can you talk a little bit about how you actually got to that point and the specifics on what you did?
1: Yeah, early on, like I said, I started working, uh, throughout high school and I worked from grade nine up until grade 12. I worked summer jobs in the summer. Um, and throughout college as well, I, I was never a super studious student, you know, like I was never like a guy who walked into the class and got A's. I, I would, I would get C's or or maybe low B minuses. And, and, you know, that was kind of the standard I held myself in school, but outside of school I worked a lot of hours. I was working two part-time jobs simultaneously. Um, I did that up until like the age of 21. And then I got my first like nine to five job. And even when I got my first nine to five job, I was still working a part time job on the weekends as well. And um, fortunately, I didn't have many expenses. I still live with my parents, which is, you know, advantageous to people who are young. If you have the ability to live with your parents throughout college and, you know, even your early 20s, you could save a ton of money doing that. That's what I've done. And you know, fortunately for me, I've never been into flashy things. I've never been the guy who, you know, will drop an entire paycheck on like one weekend, you know, buying like diamond, diamond rings or like jewelry or anything like that, or buying the nice fancy car as soon as I saw my first few big paychecks, right? I early on, you know, just kept on building up the portfolio and slowly got into now real estate as well. And I bought my first duplex back in 2020, which is that has grown my my net worth quite a bit as well. So
2: so how is the process of sort of getting into all these different kind of revenue streams, whether it's real estate or content creation or your job, how has that like been like, cause for me and, and Pravara both, we are always like kind of confused. Like how do we get into these kind of things, especially real estate? So could you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, The basics for real estate, for the most part, so um, when you look to buy a property, you are likely going to buy it with a mortgage, which is essentially a home loan. So, you know, for the most part, just a very generic example, you put a 20% down payment on a property, 80% of the purchase value um, or the purchase price, the bank is going to loan it out to you. Now, in order for you to get that mortgage, the banks do look at quite a bit of things, right? They're gonna look at obviously your credit score, right? They're gonna make sure that your credit score is good. Um, they're gonna look at your income. So luckily I bought my my first property. I had no debt and I had a rather high income um, making decent amount of money and I had essentially no expenses. And so that's how I was able to qualify for a mortgage. Um, Third thing, like I kind of mentioned, the amount of debt that you have, right? If you have a ton of like a a massive car loan um, and you're making, you know, $800 per month payments on that car, the bank's going to take that into consideration, right? And they're going to say, you know, how is this person going to afford a mortgage payment, right? Um, You know, small little things like that, you know, staying out of debt as much as you can. I know student loans are kind of really a big problem nowadays, but. You know, if you could fund your way through school, uh, fund your way through these kind of big purchases and make wise decisions early on, um, you know, it, you're bound to be successful in it slowly but surely.
2: So for someone who's trying to get that end goal of financial independence, they have to really like plan out the nitpicky stuff because as you said, you're going to have to have a good credit score if you want to, you know, get a mortgage or you're going to need to make sure you don't buy flashy stuff or you don't go for that flashy car because at the end of the day, that's, what's going to sort of prevent you from actually getting that uh, house and that down payment. Right.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you make uh, you know, I guess poor financial decisions early on, especially when you don't have much money to start off with, it's a, it's a real deep hole that you have to dig yourself out of, right? If you can, at an early age, you can, start making money as early as possible and try out different side hustles, right? Like you guys, you guys are doing a podcast. Um, You know, I'm building my personal brand, right? Everyone can create something. You can learn a new skill and then, you know, offer that skill to the marketplace, get paid for it. Even if it's only like a thousand bucks a month, right? It's still more money in your pocket. And as long as you could keep your expenses low, you know, you're making a good margin that could later on be invested as well and grow your wealth passively.
0: So I kind of wanted to talk about how you actually grown to your net worth and how you're continuing to keep on building wealth and giving yourself that ability to attain financial freedom in the future. And one part that you talked about early on was your investments. And one particular investment that you talked about was real estate. But I want to kind of divert to a more broader topic in terms of stock investments or other types of investments that you might've made. So what are the type of investments that you recommend people to make and how did you actually come about finding them and researching them in order for you to determine that's how I want to invest my money.
1: Yeah, so early on, I was, I started investing when I was 19. Uh, That was the first time I bought my first stock in the stock market. And um, initially I was just kind of playing around with like mutual funds where, you know, you got the high management expense ratios. Um, I was kind of playing around with penny stocks. I didn't have much money, so that's all I could really afford. Until I started making a little more money and I started reading and researching a little more about the stock market, uh, I started to develop kind of a strategy where I invested in low cost index ETFs. And that's primarily what I've been investing in. Um, you know, essentially my portfolio is 80% index ETFs and then 20% will be like an individual stock allocation. Those are kind of like, it's kind of like the cherry on top. You know, if I get a higher return, that's nice. Otherwise, um, you know, most of my portfolio is in index ETFs where, you know, that's just kind of steady wealth. You know, you get the average 7 to 10% return annually. You know, over the past few years, it's been a little higher than that, obviously. But, um, you know, I've kind of just developed that strategy, kept on contributing to my tax advantage accounts. I also have an employer match at my company as well. So just taking advantage of all the, tax advantage accounts that you can take advantage of you know it's, it's to your benefit so
2: obviously there have been in like this new technological technological age there have been a lot of new advancements like cryptocurrency and obviously that's like the new hype and the new wave that's coming across uh in the past few months so i want to hear your take about cryptocurrency and what you think about it going you know in the future
1: Yeah, I like cryptocurrency as a technology. I think, um, you know, I think the future does revolve around cryptocurrency and blockchain, especially. I think, you know, the great pieces of technology. um, I just don't see it. I don't, I just don't see it in my portfolio right now, because my mindset has always been, I invest in productive assets, meaning, you know, assets that produce some sort of an income. So that could be either real estate that produces cash flow, right? So you got rental income coming in minus the expenses, that's your cash flow or dividend stocks, right? Or dividend ETFs, right? To produce a dividend every single month. The reason why I do that is because I'm less worried about the price, right? Whereas cryptocurrency, I know there's a lot of different savings accounts and you can get a 8% APR and all that stuff. But if we were just talking about cryptocurrency itself, it doesn't produce anything, really. It is, it is based off what the market tells you it's worth. And, you know, it doesn't produce any income. You're very dependent on the price going up, which, as we know, it's very volatile, right? So you never know. One day the price could be up. The other day it could be completely collapsing, right? So personally, my personal risk tolerance, I just didn't want that in my portfolio. Um, some people can manage that and some people are comfortable with that. I just personally didn't see it as like a, an investment that I want to hold at this given time. Maybe in the future that may change.
0: So one particular aspect about a lot of cryptocurrencies these days <laughs> is that inherently there's just a lot more that are being created. We see that there's introduction of, you know, a lot of meme coins, cryptocurrencies as like they like to term it with Dogecoin, where it's really just they're putting out cryptocurrencies with no financial backing. So how do you feel that aspect plays into cryptocurrency? in terms of why people would invest or not invest into cryptocurrency? And if that decision, if that factor has played into your decision of not investing into cryptocurrencies.
1: Yeah, it's turned definitely into like a wild, wild west where like, you know, everyone's coming out with a new cryptocurrency, right? You have celebrities pumping up their own cryptocurrencies. There's a lot of pump and dumps. Um, You know, I know I don't want to make this relation, but it kind of does uh, remind me of the dot-com boom that happened. You know, f- from my readings of that history and, and that phase that happened, you know, companies were coming out, really had no revenue, had no financial backing, nothing. Hardly had a business model, but in their company profile name, they would put the word like internet and their stock would go to the moon. Essentially, and that's what happening. that's what's happening with cryptocurrencies right now, right? I think in the end, there will probably be similar to what we've seen, how the internet has evolved, right? 20 years moving forward. We now know who the main players of the internet space is, right? You got the Amazon, you got the Facebook, you got uh, Google, right? Those are like the big companies now that control that internet space. I think that'll be the same case with cryptocurrency. Right now it's kind of Bitcoin, Ethereum that are kind of the leaders in that. I think maybe in 10 years from now, they may still be the leaders. And, um, but, but I think a lot of the extra cryptocurrencies that are getting developed out of thin air right now will completely go away. And, uh, eventually it'll come down to, you know, 50 to like 10 cryptocurrencies that, that actually dominate the market.
0: I was, so I actually made this. Oh yeah. Go ahead. So, So I actually made this connection in terms of like, it's very similar to the dot com bubble. And one thing that I wanted to have your take on is that. If Since you believe that cryptocurrency is definitely going to be in the future, do you believe after that, let's say that crash actually happens, do you then believe that you're willing to invest into cryptocurrency because you've kind of seen that a lot of those excess cryptocurrencies are out and now you're going to be seeing that, oh, now it can be potentially go up because of what we've seen with the dot-com crash?
1: I think at that point, I would feel more comfortable to invest in cryptocurrency then, you know, once the landscape is more, uh, I guess, stabilized and you you know who the clear winners are um i think a lot of people emphasize like hey you need to be the first one in you need to be the first one to invest and my mindset is like i don't care if i'm like the 500th person to invest as long as when i invest it's a good investment for me I- i'm comfortable with right that with that right even if i had to sacrifice some return up front right i'm comfortable with that
2: so i think that's why it's so dangerous because there's so much like upside potential with just a lot of different, like, cryptocurrencies, but you don't know which one's actually going to do so well because I think this happened in the dot-com bubble as well. Like, there were some leaders in the very beginning who ended up falling, like, two, three years out, and you have people who are holding Bitcoin long-term right now but don't really know that the same thing could happen. Like, that happened to those internet companies in the beginning and the early 2000s can happen the same thing right now. So I think the main thing is you just really have to be cautious. Do your due diligence. Like I, I, that goes with any stock, really. Like you just have to make sure you actually understand the company's basis and that they actually do have a business model. And what they're doing is what you believe in and what can actually sustain. But um, I want to go ahead and talk about uh, like bank accounts and savings accounts. It's a little more on the budgeting side of things, but Um, how should, how do you think people should put their money into checking and savings accounts?
1: I think, I think, uh, when it comes to budgeting and investing in general, I think automation is key. Um, so essentially how I do manage my money is I have all my paychecks or income come into one checking account. Right. And then from my checking account, it gets dispersed and transferred into different accounts. So I have, you know, I prioritize certain things. So I have um, like a vacation fund. I like going on vacations every year. Um, obviously, COVID kind of didn't allow that to happen, but moving forward, I like going on vacations. I like traveling a bit. So I automatically allocate a certain percentage of my income towards that. Right. After that, you know, I, I also allocate a certain percentage towards investments. That could be in Canada, at least, it's called the TFSA. And then I also have a pension plan with my company and it gets automatically dispersed to that, right? Um, You know, for me, I personally make sure that every single dollar that comes into my bank account is used towards something. Um, I don't like having a ton of cash just sitting around. Um, For one reason, I don't really need it. I mean, uh, I just don't see any need for it at the moment. That may change in a few years, but because I'm young, I don't have a ton of overhead. I don't have a family or anything like that. I'm comfortable with keeping less cash and I'm comfortable with every single dollar doing something, serving a purpose, whether that's an investment or saving towards, you know, a short-term goal or, uh, you know, vacation or whatever the case may be, a car purchase, whatever.
0: So I kind of want to ask you when young people, such as, you know, me and Erna, when we're 16 and 17, we're kind of, we're kind of look towards when we're 18, we want to open our checking and savings accounts what are the factors that we should be looking forward to in terms of this is a really good account versus this is a really bad account? Or is there, or is the most important thing really to just open one and it doesn't really matter what it is? What's your take on that?
1: I think, you know, now that I've kind of had a checking account for a while now, um, I, I like the bank accounts that have no fees, uh, whatsoever. So, In Canada, that's tangerine. So there's no transaction limits. There's no transaction fees. There's no withdrawal fees. Um, You know, there's essentially no fees whatsoever. The reason for that is I just like simplicity. I think that, you know, having a checking account with a big bank is great. You build some sort of a relationship with them long term and it does come in handy. But I just like the simplicity of, opening up a checking account that has limited to no fees um, because those fees can add up, right? If the bank, you know, some banks will tell you you need to maintain a balance of $3,000. Well, if you're 18, you might not have that money, right? You might have a negative balance, if anything, right? So it's very hard to like maintain that balance, right? And, you know, at 18 years old, you're not going to be holding that much cash in the checking account because most most youngsters probably haven't even got a job yet, right? So um, I just like those simple ba- basic bank accounts that have no no transaction fees and, and uh, you know, I'm not getting feed randomly out of thin air.
2: So another thing that I saw on your Instagram feed was a post about you saying that people shouldn't really care about uh, $5 coffees or cutting down those, but instead, like essentially what are called big wins with 20,000, like buying a $20,000 car instead of $50,000 car. So can you elaborate a little bit on that, on how people should actually uh, work on, you know, you know, working off their debt?
1: Yeah, I think, I think the bigger purchases or the bigger cost savings will make a bigger impact, right? I think people try to suffocate themselves by like not buying that coffee or not buying that, you know, $1 snack bar that they really wanted, or, or, you know, maybe you, maybe you want to go out for lunch one day, right? It's your first lunch in the week and, you know you spend $10 or like you shouldn't feel guilty about your spending. Right. Cause that's a really bad habit that you could get into. And, you know, you could get wealthy being absolutely cheap and not spending anything, but is that really what you want to do with money? In the long run, you know, there comes a point you want to enjoy it. Right. I think in the early stages of building wealth, you want to make big decisions more smart. Right. So that'll be getting a car that's fuel efficient. Right. doesn't take up a lot of gas. Um, hopefully, you know, do your research, obviously get a car that's low maintenance, right? So you don't have to go to a mechanic shop and pay 500 bucks here, $300 there, thousand bucks there, right? Um, and, you know, student loan debt is another thing, right? If you can work your way through student loan debt, right? Or maybe take out a limited amount, um, that works in your favor as well, right? Instead of going into like $100,000 for the student loan debt, could you maybe work through it and cut that down to, I don't know, you know, 75 or something like that, find some sort of way to fund it, right? Um, I think those big decisions will, will make a bigger impact in your future.
0: So I think this mentality of always focusing on the big ones versus the small ones is just so impactful in so many different aspects and especially with personal finances. If you focus on making sure that you save the most money on the biggest things, the smaller ones won't even compare when you save on you know your luxuries or versus your assets. And one kind of concept that I really take, uh, want to take, I want your take on is the fact that a lot of people who are in high school, they're not really going to get that exposure to specifically handling lots of money until they get into college. So what do you recommend people do in high school and you think will be actually really effective that they practice doing in terms of maybe budgeting or learning about personal finances that will help them so much more when they get into college and when they actually get a job?
1: I think one thing is like, you know, especially when you're in college or high school, um, you know, you got a lot of friends, right? And and I know this, you know, speaking from my high school days and college days, you know, you got a lot of friends around you and their spending habits will likely dictate what you spend your money on, right? So again, surrounding yourself with the right crowd is obviously a big impact, right? Um, if they're going to the bar every night, well, what do you think you're gonna do? You're gonna go to the bar every night as well, right? So that's obviously one thing, you know, who do you hang out with? Um, Sometimes I regret it. I wish I was friends with more quote-unquote nerds in high school because they probably would have got me in a better position than I am today, right? But, uh, you know, and the second thing is I I would tell every kind of college student or high school student, get some sort of a job, right? Um, It doesn't have to be anything crazy. It doesn't have to be like, oh, you're getting paid $50 an hour or something like that. Something like even if it's minimum wage, get a job, Right. It teaches you the value of money. It teaches you what it takes to actually work for money. I see a lot of people, they go through high school, they go to college, university, and they work no job whatsoever, you know, and essentially their parents have been funding their entire lives. And, you know, sure, their first job they get, it's a big paying job. You know, it's the first big paycheck that they've ever seen in their own life, right? It's the first paycheck and they splurge it on something crazy, right? And that habit continues until they snap out of it and realize, like, holy smokes, I'm 27. I have nothing built for myself whatsoever, right? So just learning the value of money by working for it, it really opens your eyes up to the value of it.
2: So you obviously did, like, a bunch of jobs in high school. So could you elaborate on some of the specifics on what jobs you did and what were your experiences with those jobs?
1: Yeah, so my first couple of first few jobs in high school was just a warehouse I guess you can call it clerk, Um, I was picking up packing boxes, um, you know, putting them in the back of a truck trailer. Um, Very like labor, general labor, essentially, right? I did that up until high school. As soon as I got out of high school, I got my security license, which I I was eligible for as soon as I turned 18. And uh, my security guard license, I got that. It paid, I mean, it paid similar to general labor, but it was a lot easier job. The hours were longer. So, you know, I was getting paid the same amount, but I mean, I was working longer hours, but it felt like less because it was just less stress on my body and whatnot, right? Um, And then slowly transitioned into being a customer service representative, which what that's the job I do right now, that's my nine to five. and. Um, You know, as my role as a customer service representative, I wear a lot of different hats, but it's, you know, it's something that I'm able to manage because of all that work experience that I've built up over the years.
0: So I wanted to understand in terms of like the jobs that you recommend high schoolers or college students to get, what are some, aside from, you know, learning the value of money, what are some jobs that you think you'd recommend that would actually teach really valuable skills that would be really impactful when, you're in college or after college and you want to start a side hustle, you want to do freelance or you just want to use that skill that you learned to develop a further side hustle when you grow up?
1: It's a good question. Um, well, there's a lot of, I guess in early college, there are a lot of co-op jobs that you could get. Um, and I think in high school as well, they may have some co-op positions at least, uh, you know, when I was going in high school, um, you know, I think a lot of customer service jobs are great for youngsters because you get to see, you know, firsthand exactly how customers are interacting, you get to interact with customers, your social skills are a lot better, right? I remember when I was interacting with customers one-on-one, um, you know, it, it kind of improves your social skills and it kind of, you know, at a young age, you're able to interact with individuals, you're able to get that human-to-human you know, perspective, so... I think customer service is a great role as well.
2: So, as we wrap up, I want to ask you one last question: What would you have told sixteen-year-old Jushun if you could tell him something today?
1: I would probably tell him, "Hang out with more like-minded people," because uh, you know, throughout high school, I didn't—I <laughs> I, I was not uh, definitely thinking about personal finance. I was definitely not really thinking about any big, ambitious goals. I played soccer my entire life and, and, you know, that was fun. Obviously that was great. And I think that's another thing that a lot of high school students should do, you know, get into competitive sports. But um, I would probably tell them to surround yourself with like-minded people and start thinking about money at an earlier age. And I know that's hard to do when you don't have next to nothing, but uh, you know, the earlier you start thinking about it, the earlier you start educating yourself on it, the better off you'll be.
0: I 100% agree with you. Learning about money and personal finances early on will just set that foundation up and make sure that you're well-prepared when you actually go to college and you have to manage student loans and after college, when you get your first job and you have to manage your first paycheck and on and on after that. So Josh, and we want to say thank you for joining the show. We learned a lot from you and as always, we want to say thank you. So have a good day.
1: I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you guys.